Amen. And you may be seated. And as you're seated, jump into John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible here today, we can bring one to you right where you're sitting. Not a better deal you'll find anywhere. So if you need a Bible, just lift up your hand and our ushers will bring you a Bible where you're at. So you can follow along with us in John chapter 20. Make your way there. And we are looking at just such a wonderful passage of scripture here today. Last week, we were covering the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus laid out some incredible words there from the cross. Three wonderful words. Three of the most wonderful words you'll hear. What were they, somebody? It is finished. It is finished. In other words, the work for salvation is complete. It is done. It is wrapped up in Jesus and through the, through the work that Jesus did on the cross for us. There's nothing more that we can do. But here's the great thing. Though Jesus says it is finished according to the work being complete, the story is not finished because it didn't end on the cross. Praise the Lord for that. Though the work was completed, Jesus now has risen from the grave and that's the story we get to look at here today on December 1st of all things we get to look at the empty tomb he is risen risen that's good stuff let me try it again he is risen risen oh it's so good to remind ourselves of that here in December and not just at Easter right every Sunday every day of the year we should be reminding ourselves and walking in the greatness of the resurrection And in the reality of what this means for us here today. And that's what we desire to look at. And so we see Mary now in chapter 20 coming to the tomb early. First day of the week. It's it's the dawning of a new day. I love that. Look at at verse 1 with me here. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. While it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So here's Mary, first day of the week, Sunday. Okay, like new beginnings. And it's a reminder for us, here's a new day dawning. A new day dawning where it again speaks of that newness of life now that's been accomplished for us through the cross. I love 2 Corinthians 5.17. I've been meditating on that a lot lately. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the reality for us now. Because the fact that Jesus is alive, we get to enjoy this newness of life. New day has dawned. And every day in Christ, it's as though it's this new day dawning. New start, fresh start with Jesus here. And, and we see something wonderful here. Mary is coming, really revealing this devotion to the Lord. Because it says, early in the morning, when it's still dark. Isn't that amazing? Like, this woman is so excited to be with Jesus. She wants to go where Jesus is. That she's ready to give up the comforts of maybe being in bed. Maybe enjoying a little bit of that moment of coffee in the morning. She's ready to give it all up. Say, I want to go where Jesus is and be with him early in the morning while it's still dark. And it poses the question, how often am I? How often are you ready to give up the comforts of life to say, Jesus, you're more important than those things. I want to spend time with you. Now, I know there's those of you that, you know, waking up at like five in the morning, 4.30 in the morning comes very naturally. And, and I don't like you guys very much here because that, 
doesn't come naturally to me. And I would love to be one of those people that just like 5.30, I'm just like, oh, it's a new day. But no, I'm like, pull those covers up a little bit higher, right? Let's keep the light out a little bit longer here. I'm one of those people. Maybe, maybe you're one of those people that wake up and it's more so, good Lord, it's morning. Whereas I think it can be, good morning, Lord. I want to spend time with you. I want to be with you. And that's what Mary is exemplifying for us here. And there's something so sweet, and I've talked about this, but there's something so sweet and so wonderful. When we kind of schedule that time to say, Lord, the first thing I do today is I want to get alone with you. I want to do so before the busyness of the day, before the the craziness sets in. Lord, I want to take time that's set aside, that's reserved for you, because I want to be with you. And that's what we get to do when we have that quiet time, when we have that time of devotion in the morning. This is not about fulfilling some kind of religious requirement. This is not about saying, I got to fulfill my my quota of scriptures to read. This is about opening up God's word to say, Jesus, come and speak with me because I want to spend time with you. I want to be with you. And that's what we get to do in the morning. And there's something sweet that happens when we set aside that time and do it, just as Mary's doing early in the morning before the rest of the craziness sets in. In fact, Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Or as some translations say, those who seek me early will find me. I think that's so true. And I know many of you have found that to be so true for, your, for yourselves. And I just say that as an encouragement. Boy, there is something so rewarding when we take that time before getting off to work or getting off to school or whatever it might be, where you just say, Lord, I just want to be with you. I want to be where you are. I just want to open up your word and allow you to speak to me and reveal yourself to me. And that's what we get to see happen as we take that time with the Lord. So as Mary here now comes early in the morning while it's still dark, she comes to the tomb. She sees the stone is rolled away. Now understand nobody's, nobody's thinking resurrection right now. Nobody's going, let's go see if he's risen now. They're going, let's go and again, prepare his body better for, for burial, for death. And they're, they're, remember when the, when the women are coming, it's not just Mary um, other gospels share there's other people coming with Mary, but they're all thinking, how are we going to roll away the tomb, the, the stone? They're not, they're not going expecting to see resurrected Jesus. They're going expected to see Jesus still in the tomb with the stone covering it up. Nobody's thinking this way. All through the resurrection account, the disciples, all those are still sitting here in doubt. There's questions. They're still wondering, like, what do we do now? What's going to happen now? Nobody's expecting resurrected Jesus. So Mary comes back to Peter and John now, and, and she's like, I don't know where he is. He's not there, and I don't know where they've placed him. All she's thinking of, somebody's moved the body, and I don't know where he is. So she goes and tells Peter and John. Now again, I love the way that John identifies himself here in, in, in verse 2, right? She ran and came to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John writing this, referring to himself. Now, this isn't John with a chip on his shoulder. So, hey guys, I'm the one that Jesus loves best. I'm the one that Jesus loved the most. Just one, you know, this isn't John being overconfident. This is John simply being confident in the reality that he was loved by Jesus. 
And that's something I think so wonderful. This is not boasting. This is not being proud. This is John simply identifying himself as somebody that is loved by Jesus because he's walked with Jesus. He knows the love of Christ and he knows that that is true and personal for him. And it's something that we can all say about ourselves that we should be able to say confidently, I am so-and-so loved by Jesus. Do you recognize that today? Do you realize that today? Is that something that you have appropriated and realized for yourself today? Because we can struggle on that so easy. We can doubt that so often, especially when we stumble or fall or mess up. We think, oh, Jesus can't love me now. But John says no. And, and, and John's not lived perfectly either. But he knows, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. Not loves more or better, but just He's loved as you are loved by Jesus, as I am loved by Jesus. And, and John doesn't use this term for love that was very common in the New Testament that was this unconditional form of love, agape. No, he uses the term, the Greek word phileo, which means this tender affection, like brotherly love. In other words, John says, Jesus doesn't love me just because he's God and has to agape unconditionally. He says, no, Jesus actually cares about me. He has tender affection towards me. You know, I love it when my wife comes and says to me, I love you. But sometimes she'll say, you know what? I not only love you, I like you. That to me is like, ooh, that's good. That's good. I mean, I've heard it just a couple times in my marriage, but those two times, those two times have really carried me through a lot of the difficult years. No. Where's, where's my wife? Okay. Is she not here? Okay. She's gone. We'll keep that to ourselves, everybody. Okay. Um, but no, she, she likes to say that because we all know we need to love each other. We're commanded to love each other. Jesus didn't say, I, I command you to like each other. He says, I command you to love each other. So there's something special when we recognize that this person doesn't just love me because they have to. They actually want to. They like, they, they're, they, they're caring for you. And that's kind of what John has in mind here. I'm the disciple who Jesus phileos, cares for, likes, loves. I think that's so awesome. And we need to be able to recognize that for ourselves personally. Because it's so comforting when we recognize, regardless of what I do, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Verse 3, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. So here, now John actually does have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. All right. I said he didn't earlier, but now, now it comes out. All right. But I love this about John because, you know, I think there was this little friendly rivalry going on between John and Peter that the scriptures just kind of bring out a little bit just to show that, you know, human aspect going on here. And so John says, listen, guys, you know, we, we took off to the tomb. We want to see what Mary was talking about. And yeah, I beat Peter to the tomb. Just want you to know about that for all of history, for everybody to know who is the faster, more fit one out of the two of us, right? Now, I, I, I find that good because there's just that friendly comment. I like, I like to compete and I probably would have done the same thing if I were writing scripture here, but makes me feel better about these things. But I think that there's something interesting going on here too, and not to over-spiritualize any of this by any means, but think about what Peter's been going through. Because Peter has just recently denied Jesus 
Not once or twice, but three times at Jesus' most heaviest hour of his life. When he's been under the most intense kind of trial, uh, betrayal, false accusation. He's, he's been beaten. And so here's Peter now that's just recently denied Jesus. And the third time that Peter denies Jesus, Jesus says he looked right at Peter when he denied him. Think about that vision or that look just kind of imprinted now in Peter's conscience. I believe, I, I think Peter's probably had some sleepless nights thinking, how could I have done that? And again, not to over-spiritualize anything, but I think there's something that when we're walking out of line from where we should be when it comes to abiding in Christ, as Peter now has felt this disconnection now because of sin, there's something that just weighs on us, that holds us back, that kind of depletes us. And yes, I believe John beat Peter to the tomb simply because he's younger, faster, and a little bit more fit. I'm not saying that it's all because of Peter, but I do believe as, as what Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Yes, John, probably younger, leaner, faster, but here's Peter. He's been beset by sin. And I think he's in this state of just kind of being depleted, being lethargic, kind of being weighed down because of what's happened. Oh, we know that the Lord will come and, and restore that, but let us be those that don't allow ourselves to allow sin to, to set in. And begin to trip us up and weigh us down and hold us back from walking in the fullness that the Lord has for us. And, and running this race diligently that the Lord has before us. Peter's experiencing these things right now that I think was kind of holding him back to some degree. Verse 5. As we see them get to the tomb, it says that John, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet... He did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed. So interestingly now, as Peter and John get to the tomb, they both kind of look in, they see the linen cloths lying there and it's as though these linen cloths are lying there um, in, that, in that kind of position as though they were when they were wrapped around Jesus. He sees them lying there, except for the handkerchief that was around the head that is now folded up, laying separately from it. But it's as though what they're seeing here is these linen cloths that were there around the body of Jesus that are just still there, as though Jesus had just, in his resurrected state, just passed right through them. See, there's another time that we hear about the grave clothes. When? When Jesus calls Lazarus to come out from the tomb. And what does Jesus say? Unwrap him. But Jesus now doesn't need to be unwrapped because he's in a new glorified body. And I believe just passed right through. And they see these linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief lying separately by itself folded up. Now that's interesting because you see, the critics of the resurrection, the enemies of the Lord, they try to deny the historic fact of the resurrection by saying, and the Jewish leaders did this, 
the body of Jesus has been taken. The, his disciples have simply come and stolen him away to make it look like he's resurrected. Many people today will say, well, Jesus didn't just really rise from the grave. He just, you know, was taken away, removed somewhere to make it look like it. But think about that. In order to do so, they would have had to gotten past the Roman guards. Which the Roman guards who were now in charge of protecting somebody and sending guard over somebody, if anything happened to the person that they were sending guard over, well, it would be their own heads on the chopping block. They would have been killed. They, they would not have allowed anything to happen like that. And then also to remove that stone would have been a feat. Remember the woman, like I said earlier, coming to the tomb going, how are we going to remove the stone? So there's obstacles there that are, are beyond just kind of, you know, somebody coming in and taking the body. And if somebody were to come in and actually get past the Roman guards, get past the stone, would they have taken time to grab the body of Jesus, unwrap the, the grave clothes, and then go and fold some of them up neat and tidy. You just don't do that. If you go into a house to rob it, you're not going to spend some time vacuuming afterwards to clean up or go and make their beds. Thinking, this house is a sty, man. I'm going to take some stuff, but I'm going to make sure I leave it better than I found it. Nobody's going to be doing that. Not that I have any practice in that, but from what I've heard from other people, that's just not a thing you do. So the people that go to take the body of Jesus that this is just a robbery, it, it doesn't add up at all. We're dealing with a resurrected Savior here. Now, what's really cool is that when you look at, first of all, John comes to the tomb, verse 5, and he looks in. He saw the linen cloth there. Then Peter, as Peter typically does, right, in just kind of not thinking fashion, just very impulsive, he goes running right in the tomb. Right? He's like, I got there first, John. <laughs> it was actually into the tomb that you had to beat the race. No, it wasn't that. But he goes right in the tomb. John doesn't. And then it says that Peter saw the linen cloth there. And then in verse 8, we read that John goes in and he saw and believed. Now, three times we hear that word that they saw, the linen cloth. But it's interesting because John uses three different Greek words to explain that they saw these things. In other words, they were seeing things in a different way. And it, and it really lays out for us this progression of faith that we see. So check this out here. Verse 5, John sees the linen cloths. It's this word blipo, to see, to look, to behold. And then in verse 6, we saw that Peter goes into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths. It's this word theoreo, which means to view attentively, to survey the situation. We get our word theory from this. So they begin to have a theory about what's going on. And then John he goes in and he saw and believed, and it's the word ido, which means to perceive, to discern, to discover, which we get our word idea from this. So there's this progression going on. Let me explain it this way. When I first saw my wife, all right, we were a couple 16-year-olds working at Timberline Ranch here as counselors, and, and when I first saw her, it was bleepo, right? I came and I, I bleepoed her, and it sounds worse than what it actually is. I just saw her is all that is meant by that. I saw her, but nothing special. We just finished a mud run. So she's all gross and dirty and nothing. It was just kind of like, okay, no sparks are going off. I saw her, bleepo. But then as she began to clean up a little bit, right? Washes the mud off. I began to kind of theorize a little bit. I began to theoreo her and think of her and go, hmm, there's something more here. All right, the dirt is removed. I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting. 
And then, as I look a little bit further, it was Ido. I had an idea. This is somebody that I would love to grace with my relationship and presence. And reward. No, it wasn't quite like that. But I had an idea. I'm like, you know what? This could be something here. I'm going to pour on the charm. I'm going to woo her. I'm going to bring her in. And when that didn't work, I just begged on my hands and knees. I said, I'm desperate, honey. Um, and, and the rest is history. But you see, there's this progression there. Kind of look, saw, okay. And then I started to see a little bit more. Began to have a theory. And then there was that idea that hit me. This could be the one. And yeah, I mean, it took years. It took years of convincing her and, and you know, bringing her along. But we got there, all right? It's great. The rest is history. It's awesome. And so there's this progression that takes place. It's the same way with Peter and John. They're having this progression of faith taking place as they're, they're looking in. Now, now, sadly, these guys should have been guys that were full of faith already, counting down the days to the resurrection, expecting this to happen. It should have been, oh my goodness, crucifixion. Okay, it's counting down. Three, two, one more day. All right, this is it. He's got to be back around somewhere. Let's go find Jesus. They should have been expecting this. However, these were days where it seemed that were heavy and sorrowful. Days of heartache and doubt and confusion and needlessly. Why needlessly? Look at verse 9. For as yet, they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They did not know or they did not understand the scriptures. Because the scriptures have done a great job of already laying out for us that the Messiah is going to come. And yet, death is not going to be the end of him. He's going to live forever. Many Old Testament scriptures that alluded to the resurrection. Look at this here in Psalm 2-7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Psalm 16, verse 8-11. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in shield, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Oh, I love that verse. But you see, these are being written in, in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. These scriptures are being written to reveal and prophesy that the Lord is not going to and in death that he's going to be resurrected and he's going to be at the right hand of the father forevermore where we too are going to experience life in his presence see the scriptures have already been speaking of this and not only have old testament scriptures been speaking of this but jesus himself even more so has been communicating these things to the disciples and yet they have failed to understand tells us in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And then right there again in Mark 9, 31, for he taught his disciples and said to them, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise again the third day. And then again in, in Mark chapter 10, same idea. Jesus has been laying out for his disciples Listen, guys, I'm going to be going to Jerusalem. And there, I'm going to be betrayed, handed over. I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to rise again the third day. 
Jesus, in a series of close intervals, has laid it out as clearly as possible as to what's going to happen to him. But you see, the disciples never got it. They never understood, as it tells us in verse 9. They were too busy thinking about their own situations, their own desires, and, and their own stuff. And they just kind of tuned Jesus out. Perhaps, maybe you've encountered that at times. You've been talking to somebody and they just kind of completely tuned you out. You're like, you finish your, 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 your great story and they're like, wait a second, what, what was that? What happened again? And you're like, what have you been doing? It's so easy to tune people out these days. In fact, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing right now is, is headphones with what? Noise cancellation. It's like these headphones right here are going to help you just completely tune everything out. That's what people are looking for these days. I don't want to be a part of anything that's going on around me. I just want to tune everything out and just be in isolation. Noise cancellation headphones. That's what everybody's after. And you see, sadly, we oftentimes do that with Jesus. We get to that place where we're just like, I just want to be in isolation, and yet we push Jesus out. And we tune him out. And we fail to see what he's instructing us, what he's encouraging us with. It was like that with his disciples. Every time he began to speak about these things, they were just completely in their own little world. It's like you, you go to your kids sometimes. And you're like, hey kids, guess what? We're going to take you to Disneyland this Christmas. And it's like, are we still going to get presents? It's like they completely miss out on the gravity of what you're saying. You're like, have you just heard what I said? That should completely trump everything about presents. We're going to Disneyland. And they just get in their own. It's like that with Jesus and his disciples. He's like, guys, I'm going to be taken to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed. But I'm going to rise again three days later. And the disciples are like, um, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Um, can I sit at the right hand, Jesus? Like, it's like they completely missed everything Jesus was saying because they're tuned out. They're thinking about their own stuff. And now when this point comes, when they should be celebrating, they're in confusion. They're in doubt and dismay. Rather than, than walking in, 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 in victory and excitement and joy. They were out to lunch, focused on themselves. To the point that when they should have been full of excitement to go and greet Jesus. They're off having a sob session with one another. Thinking all their dreams have been dashed. And I wonder how often we ourselves find ourselves in that position. Where we get a little caught up in our own little world. Focused on our own little problems or pains. To the point that we forget about the greatest thing that's ever been accomplished for you. And that's the resurrection of Jesus. You see, for the Christian, that's our hope. It's our great hope. It's not just some fairy tale ending that allows everyone to just feel good about themselves and ride off into the sunset. This is the reality for us where, where so much of our, our, our difficulty and pain and trial and circumstances of life can be dwarfed, can be fading into obscurity as we look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're alive today and you've given me hope. You've given me victory now because of the life that I have in you to where all these other things are, are, are minimal and they're temporary. That's not the end here for me. And I don't want to try to, min- I, I understand, I don't want to minimize any difficulty that people are going through because I know that's, that's true and real. But you see, what we need to do is more so Begin to bring Jesus into it and go, Jesus, though I might be facing this, you're still greater. 
Though I might be dealing with this, Jesus, you've come to help me through. And, and you've given me the strength and the ability to move through knowing that this is not the end. This is temporary. We need to bring Jesus into these things. Not tune him out as the disciples were doing. I think far too often people have simply failed to understand the significance personally for them of the resurrection. Or they've tuned it out failing to see the power available for them today. Have you comprehended the reality of the resurrection for you personally today that Jesus is alive that he's defeated death and sin that we today have new life now in him because of what he's done may the troubles that may be facing today begin to fade in comparison to the greatness of the resurrected resurrected life that's now secured for us through Jesus allow that to sink in here today Because we see in verse 10 that the disciples went away again to their own homes. I think they walked away at that point, again, just in in confusion, without certainty of what's really going on. They're still unsure, and I think they, they went home kind of sorrowful. Maybe thinking, well, it's been a good ride, but kind of the end now. That might be it. What do we do now? And we know that the disciples had gone back to Galilee. They kind of just kept, got back into fishing. They're like, well, might as well just pick things up with where we were at before Jesus came along. They don't have this hope of like, man, this is, this is truly a new day. It's a new beginning. They're not, they're not prepared yet to receive Jesus. But notice verse 7, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of jesus had lain now this is fascinating i I love this picture that you see here and 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 follow along with me here because as mary looks in suddenly she sees two angels sitting there one at the feet so one at one side where jesus was laying and one at the other side two angels sitting there and it's a great image and picture of what we see happening in the tabernacle or in the temple and specifically in the Holy of Holies because there in the Holy of Holies sat what? The Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant inside was the, the, the tablets of the commandments and other things, but the tablets of commandments are there. And there on the lid of the, uh, of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, what was it? Two cherubim. Two angels sitting on the mercy seat. And it's the mercy seat that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies one day of the year on the Day of Atonement. He'd take the blood of the sacrifices. He'd come into the Holy of Holies and he'd sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat. And it's there that God said to Moses, it's here that I'll meet with you. It's right here that I'll meet with you. It's through the blood of Jesus that God says is where that point of mercy and that grace of God comes in to where I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to give you new life. I'm going to give you a new relationship. I'm going to forgive your sins. And I believe right there as Mary's looking in, she sees two angels there on that seat where Jesus was laid, where perhaps the blood-stained linen garments are laying there. It's the blood of Jesus that has met everything we need to where it's not just now our atonement, our covering of sin, but it's our removal of sin because Jesus does something far greater than any sacrifice could do. He comes as our final sacrifice to not just cover our sin, but to remove our sin. And it's through the blood of Jesus that God says, here, I can meet with you. Here you will find mercy and grace. 
and acceptance and life in me. What a great image and picture that is that Mary looks in and sees in the tomb where Jesus comes and he fulfills the law that was in the Ark of the Covenant where we're no longer bound by the law but we walk in that new covenant now, that new covenant of his blood where sins are remembered no more. Praise the Lord for that. Isn't that good news? Well, verse 13, then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, now, I mean, it's just amazing what goes on in these days. I, I think angels were such kind of a, a com- I would have been like, what? Angels? Oh my goodness. Let me tell you. And she's just like having a conversation with them. It just astounds me. It's very cool. Why are you weeping? They said, she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Now, why didn't Mary recognize Jesus here? It's interesting. Now, some people say, well, it's because, you know, it's early morning. It's still, it was so dark when Mary came to the tomb. Now, it could be getting, you know, she's gone back, got Peter and John. They, they've come back. It could be that's dying, but in that time of, uh, a day right now, perhaps the light is not great. She doesn't quite see. Maybe the, the sun is hitting it and just the, the, the you know, rising sun is hitting in a way where she can't quite make out who this person is. Some say that because she was weeping, she's got tears in her eyes. And, and you know what happens when tears in her eyes, blurred vision. And so maybe she can't make out who this person is exactly. May I suggest to you there might be a different reason why Mary doesn't recognize Jesus? Because Jesus is appearing to her in a way that is so contrary to how she has seen Jesus before. Because scriptures reveal to us here that, that Jesus comes and he appears in a way where, remember what Jesus has just gone through. He's gone through some intense beatings and torture, right? He's had uh, blindfolded and people hitting him without having the reflective ability to kind of you know, absorb these hits. He's been getting hit like that. He's had his, his Bible says his beard was plucked out, uh, thorns placed upon his scalp, the, the scourging, not to mention the, the effects of the crucifixion. Jesus has undergone such incredible uh, torture and beings to the point where Pilate brings him on and says, behold the man, because Pilate's amazed that this man has withstood these things and is still standing and is not fighting back or trying to defend himself, but he's taking it. See, the scriptures reveal for us here, John 20, verse 27, that he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. You see, we oftentimes think resurrected Jesus. Oh, he comes now in just his new body. And, and it is a new body. But we think he's just coming, he's glowing, he's just perfect, everything's healed, everything's wonderful. Wind is just blowing in the hair, it's just this glorious picture. Resurrected Jesus, right? But yet, the Bible tells us that he comes back bearing the battle scars. Bearing the wounds that he took for your sin and my sin. Tells us in Revelation 5 or 6 is John himself again was at a later date taken up and, and taken up to heaven. He sees this scene in heaven. And he says, And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. He's speaking of Jesus that emerges from the throne as a lamb who had been slain. John is seeing in eternity Jesus who is bearing 
the scars of what he endured for you and me to be redeemed and brought into eternal life, to spend eternity with him. Jesus, forever and ever, I believe, is going to be revealing the scars of what he took to have us there with him. Isaiah prophesies of this very thing. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, said, Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So Mary, I believe, is probably seeing this person, whether it be a combination of the teary eyes, the time of day, or just a man that's been kind of beaten, and, and, and looking so contrary to how she remembers Jesus. Now, reading on verse 15, we begin to see when the light begins to turn on for Mary of recognizing Jesus. Verse 15 says that Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, Teacher, now Jesus asked her, why are you weeping? Almost as though I believe Jesus is saying, why bother weeping? This is not the time for weeping. This is the time for rejoicing. There's no need to be weeping right now, Mary. You know, I think we spend a lot of needless time weeping. And, and again, listen, the, the Bible says, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. There's a time for that, and I get it, I understand. And we as a church need to come alongside people in times of sorrow and difficulty and bear that pain with them. Yes, we do that. But let me say this, for whatever it's worth. I think sometimes we can spend a little bit too much time in that place of weeping when the Lord wants to bring us through in victory because of the resurrected life we have with Him and say, listen, this is not the end. This is not what you need to be focused on. Focused on me. Focus on me. Focus on the life I've, I've given you. Focus on the life that you have because I'm alive today. Sometimes we need to stop weeping and rejoice and worship our resurrected Savior and know that life is found in Him and I can be made complete because of what Jesus has done for me. I don't need to be in the doldrums and spend all this needless time weeping when I look to Jesus and go, Jesus, man, you've done it all for me. And you're my strength and my hope and my comfort from day to day. So Lord, let me look to you. I believe Jesus is saying, Mary, why are you weeping? Don't you know what's happened? It's me, I'm alive. And so she goes on and explains, I don't know where, and she's thinking it would be the gardener. If you would just tell me where, maybe you placed him somewhere, I will go and tend to, to his body. If you would just tell me, and that's all she's thinking about. But then Jesus calls her out by name. Mary, suddenly there at the sound of her name by Jesus, she understands, Rabbi, teacher, it's you. Why did she know? Well, listen to what Jesus says in John 10, verse three to four. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. They know his voice. Mary knew exactly who this was when Jesus called her up because she knew his voice. She knew as he calls her up by name. She's one of his, a follower, ready to follow, ready to move. Are we those that know the voice of Jesus? 
Are we those that respond at the voice of Jesus? That No, that's you, Lord. Yeah, I want to follow you. Again, how we need to allow the all the other voices going on in the world and vying for our time and attention and take that time to really cultivate that relationship with Jesus to where we're knowing his voice, where we're walking in fellowship and connection with him. Take time to meet with him. Take time to know and hear from him. Verse 17 says, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he'd spoken these things to her. So Jesus says, Mary, don't cling to me. I think he's saying that because Mary was holding on to him as though she's going, I don't ever want to let you go again. Don't leave me again. But remember what Jesus promised to his disciples, he said, no, it's good that I go. Why? Because then the Holy Spirit can be poured out. I think what Jesus is saying here is, don't cling to me. I'm going to ascend to my Father. And when I ascend to my Father, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out to where you're not going to just need me physically with you. You're going to have the Holy Spirit abiding in you. It says in John 14, 16, that the Holy Spirit will come and abide with you forever. To where you're not going to be limited to Where's Jesus now? Is Jesus in Jerusalem? Oh, I got to get to Jerusalem to be with Jesus. No, we're going to have the Holy Spirit abiding us to where we can go. Where's Jesus? He's right here with me because of the Holy Spirit. I don't need to go to church. You do need to go to church, but we don't need to go to churches to find Jesus. We don't need to go to some place. We don't need to be in some closer proximity. We just need to be abiding in Jesus through the Holy Spirit to know that he's with us. Mary was clinging to Jesus thinking, I don't want you to leave me. Jesus says, no, I won't leave you. I'm not going to leave his orphans. I will come to you, but I'm going to come to you through another helper, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, Mary, there's better stuff coming. And a better work that's going to be done because it's not going to be resting in one person in one physical location at one time. It's going to be now through the church and through the Holy Spirit ministering at one time around the whole world. That's amazing. So Jesus says, don't cling to me. Better things are still to come. And he says, I must go to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Think about what Jesus is saying here because it's really the first time in, in the Gospel of John that, John, or that, that Jesus refers to God and the Father as, as yours. I've been allowed to be my God, my Father. But I says, your God and your Father That's good news because through the work that Jesus has done for us, we're reconciled to God to where now we can say that he is our father. He's our God. Jesus took all of our sin and he gave us all of his righteousness so that we could be brought into a right standing with God and enjoy relationship with him that had once been cut off because of our sin. But now Jesus has covered that. It is finished. The work is done. And we get reconciled now to our heavenly father and relationship is made new again. He is our God and our father. Praise the Lord for that. And there's some wonderful promises that come along with that here for us today. Many wonderful promises because of our position as children of God. First of all, we have the promise of inheritance. The immeasurable riches of God 
are eternally ours. This moves us beyond the flat screen TVs and new cars that occupy so many people's dreams today. We should be willing to die penniless if that's what God desires, knowing that our eternal treasure chest awaits us upon our entrance into the Father's house. So we have uh, the promise of inheritance. We also have the promise of love. We're now God's children. No matter what kind of earthly father you had, you now have a perfect father. His love for you will not ebb and flow based on his emotions. His treatment of you won't be affected by your performance. He will love you enough to chasten you when you sin, not because he's vindictive, but because you're his child and he wants what's best for you. And we also have the promise of acceptance. Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father brings assurance that we will be accepted into our Father's house. We didn't become God's children because of what we did, but because of what Jesus accomplished for us. So our confidence in our standing before God doesn't rest in what we do, but in what Jesus has done on our behalf. As long as Jesus stands at the right hand of God, all who follow him will be welcomed into God's presence. If God accepted Jesus, then he's accepted you who are in Jesus. That's the promise of our acceptance here today. Praise the Lord again for all that he's done, that he's brought us into a new relationship with God to where we can say, my Father, my God. By faith in Jesus, by putting your trust in Jesus, you become children of God. Can everybody here today say that confidently? I'm a child of God, and when I die I'm going to be brought into eternal life, brought into heaven, where I'll spend eternity with my Father. Listen, if you're here today, and you can't say that confidently, I I don't want to put doubts in your mind. I want to give you confidence today. I want to give you hope today, that because of what Jesus has done for you, you can become a child of God. You can experience the forgiveness of sins and have new life in Jesus, because Jesus is alive. All you need to do is simply admit your sin. That's called repentance, which is turning from what you've been doing and turning from your way to go God's way now. That's it. It's a change of direction. You repent, you acknowledge your sin, but now you say, Jesus, you're the only one that can forgive me my sin. So come and forgive me and be my Lord and my Savior. That's it. It's putting your trust in Jesus. You're no longer saying... I think I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. You're saying, I'm going to go to heaven because my faith is in Jesus who has paved the way for me. If you haven't done that today, you don't know confidently today that you're a child of God, simply pray that today. Ask Jesus to come and be your Lord and Savior and forgive you of your sin. And you become a child of God. All who call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. Look to Jesus here today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And we're going to close with just a time of communion. And worship as we think about these things here. But again, the story doesn't end there. Because of resurrected life. Notice what, what Jesus commands Mary to go and tell your brethren. Again, brethren. It's like, man, there's a new relationship here now. These are my brothers now. We're family. He tells Mary, go and tell. And she goes back to the disciples and says, I have seen the Lord. Verse 18, I've seen the Lord. Have you seen the Lord today? Have you seen Jesus today? Are you communicating that with others? See, sometimes we think, well, I just, it's not really my gifting. It's not really my, listen, you're all called. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
What's the gospel? That Jesus died for your sin, that he rose again to give you life. That's simple. And all you need to do is tell people what Jesus has done, that you have seen Jesus, that you have found life in Jesus. See, Jesus isn't looking just for the most qualified people. He's looking for those people that have seen the Lord. Go and be my witnesses. See, a, a woman's testimony wasn't even admissive in a, in a court of law in this day. And yet Jesus has women be the first witnesses of his resurrection. The greatest historical event that's taken place. He has women go and say, go and be the first voice and tell people what's happened. You might go, oh, this isn't my place. This isn't for me. Oh, I can't do this. No. Jesus, go and share with people. Let people know that Jesus is alive and that because he's alive, you've experienced new life in him. Have you seen the Lord? Tell people. Pass that on to others. Bring them along that they might see the Lord in you and through you as well. So Lord, we come before you here today and we thank you that you're alive. And all that you secured in us and for us because of that fact. Lord, if we've kind of overlooked the resurrection, if we've kind of dismissed it or not thought too much about it, may we see today the power and the reality of the resurrection available for us here today. Newness of life, Lord. Victory today and I pray that we'd walk in it. And that we'd be those that are sharing that and passing it on to others as well. Thank you, Lord, of what you've accomplished for us. That you brought us in as children of God now. What a blessing, Lord. We love you and we just want to proclaim that love of you and for you here today. Amen. Let's all stand together and we have communion here at the front. And we're going to invite you just to come and make your way down as we sing. And part, uh, just grab those emblems of communion take them back to your seat. And do so... Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. See, again, it's all accomplished through what Jesus did on the cross. And his resurrection validates the work that he did. It's been accepted. The work is done. And we get to walk in that victory of resurrected life here today. Let's partake of these elements of communion with, with joy and gladness here today of what Jesus has accomplished for us today. So let's come and partake of them as we sing and just take them back to your seat. And just go ahead and do that with thankful hearts before Jesus, thanking him for his sacrifice and for his life here today.